0: is a conversation with Mr. Neil Royce. Mr. Royce is a high school math teacher at Wheaton Academy and the head coach of our math team. He has been my math instructor for the last two years, but more than that, he has been a great friend and mentor. He is a deep thinker when it comes to technology and social issues, providing profound answers from a firm Christian perspective. This is a David Jung podcast. In case you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast as well as my YouTube channel called David Talks to. If you are interested in learning more about the ethical usage of artificial intelligence in this contemporary era, please visit the webpage for the Ethical AI project at www.ethicalai.pro. That is www.ethicalai.pro. This is a project I started to facilitate discussions on AI usage whether it's philosophical or practical, and promote a correct understanding of artificial intelligence. And now, friends, welcome Mr. Neil Royce. Yeah, so I'm sure you've heard a lot about ChatGPT since its release in November, and it's received a lot of attention. And contributed to the emergence of many AI tools. So has the advent of ChatGPT changed your perception of intelligence?
1: Well, no. No, it hasn't. Um, Even though I'm not familiar with a lot of the educational applications when it comes to intelligence itself, no changes.
0: Mm. How come?
1: Well, intelligence, I mean, if I take a look at the AI Mm -hmm. program and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I'm seeing a goal of attempting to do the sort of thing that Ray Kurzweil talked about even back in the 1990s,
0: -hmm.
1: talking about transhumanism, human 2.0, trying Mm -hmm. to replace, basically, to arrive at a singularity to Mm -hmm. replace the human body, in case someone were to die, it's to solve the problem of mortality. And so when I hear the word intelligence in an AI context, uh, I'm not hearing anything in GPT that changes
0: that. Mm-hmm. How about let's take a step back. How would you define intelligence?
1: Yeah, so intelligence is something that is personal in nature. It's the ability to essentially to learn Mm -hmm. and learning can be done in one of five broad ways. I mean, learning can be done using math deduction takes Mm -hmm. intelligence to do that. Mathematical induction, Mm -hmm. scientific induction or the scientific method, Mm -hmm. historical, the historical method, Mm -hmm. um, Requires intelligence, but also being able to receive truth from a trusted authority figure Mm -hmm. takes intelligence because you have to discern the credibility Mm -hmm. and the message coming from the person who's sending that message.
0: Yeah. Do you mind giving some examples of each of these aspects? Sure. So math
1: deduction, I mean, that's the sort of thing that you do in a geometry class where based on the givens, you then go through and use logic and theorems to arrive at a conclusion. Mathematical induction is just a specialized topic within the pre-calculus curriculum where um, you you reason instead of from general to particular, you mm-hmm. reason the other way around from Particular to general, but yeah, there, there's a process for doing math induction. It's kind of specialized. Mostly, it's just math students that know about that. Scientific induction is the name given to the scientific method, mm-hmm. which starts out with you know some real world problem where there's a working hypothesis. You form, um, you design an experiment to test the hypotheses, and then based on p values. You either reject or fail to reject the null hypothesis at certain alpha levels. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, the scientific method essentially comes down to using a model to calculate those probabilities, those mm-hmm. p-values. Now, the historical method, that in, that's a fourth way of knowing that mm-hmm. we often see going on in the court of law. You mm-hmm. have, um, in the court of law, they use eyewitness testimony, written testimony, and artifacts like Exhibit A, Exhibit B. And based Mm -hmm. on that, a jury of your peers is supposed to try to eliminate reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. to either, in a criminal trial, render the accused either guilty or not guilty. So this is actually what can be used to look at the claim that Jesus rose from the dead and using the historical method— Mm -hmm. you a reasonable person can arrive at a conclusion of whether or not jesus rose from the dead notice that's not something that would be arrived at using math deduction math induction or scientific induction Mm -hmm. now the fourth way i'm sorry the fifth way Mm -hmm. just receiving truth from a trusted authority figure i mean that happens that's probably the 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 way of knowing that people have the most experience with because that's what we start with that's when a child is in the relationship with their parents they realize oh these my parents mm-hmm. they love me i trust that what they're telling me is true and they they're receiving truth from before the time they can talk
0: yeah indeed so are all these methods accurate or is there some some form of tolerance to how much inaccuracy there can be sure
1: well let's let's run down the line math deduction um, if you're it, it does take you with 100% certainty from mm-hmm. true premises to your conclusion. Now, if your premise is false, then the conclusions from math deduction are, are not going to be true. But if mm-hmm. you have true um, starting points, then that works. Um, same thing with math induction. You, can ar- you can't you arrive at truth with 100% certainty. Now, mm-hmm. with scientific induction, the scientific method, it's well known that you've got um, type 1 errors and type 2 errors, so there's Mm -hmm. just a whole science of Mm -hmm. analyzing the probability of correctly rejecting the null hypothesis, or I'm sorry, of incorrectly rejecting the null hypothesis type 1 error, or Mm -hmm. incorrectly failing to reject the null hypothesis. We also call that false positives and false negatives. So yeah, you -hmm. will get incorrect conclusions with the scientific method. Same thing with the historical method. Uh, you can get type 1, type 2 errors in, in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And also receiving truth from a trusted authority figure. Sometimes trusted authority figures give false information Indeed. or they just build up trust and then they lie to people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, there, there is possibility of learning things that are false through mm-hmm. several of those methods. That's
0: true, yes. So let's take a step back to uh, artificial intelligence what kind of learning methods do you think would the agent employ um, so that we can consider it to be some, some form of intelligence or resembling human intelligence in that sense? Well, I mean, if we're... I, I think
1: it sounds like your question is getting into the realm of the Turing test.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed.
1: And I mean yeah, that's how I'm interpreting your question is that wait a second, if if artificial intelligence develops to the point that it it has arrived mm-hmm. at real intelligence, then mm-hmm. as as I've learned from you recently, I, I heard you describe it one time as one time recently as if you have an interrogator who is questioning mm-hmm. both um a An entity that both of which claim to be people, but one of them really is a person, the other one is an artificial intelligence agent. Indeed. If the interrogator cannot distinguish which one is the human person and which one is the um, agent created by humans to resemble a person or to you know accomplish mm-hmm. everything that a person does, then the interrogator can't tell the difference, it passes a Turing test. So I, I believe my stance Mm -hmm. is that no, that artificial intelligence will never get to the point of actually passing the Turing test and achieving personhood. Mm,
0: Personhood. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting word. Do you mind expounding on that? What does it mean to achieve personhood? What does it mean to, or to be a person? Actually, yeah, why don't you just answer that question? Okay, so personhood, and
1: um, there is, I mean, if you Google personhood theory, mm-hmm. stuff comes up, and I learned about personhood theory by reading Nancy Piercy's book entitled mm-hmm. Love Thy Body, mm-hmm. and and what she talks about, one thing she talks about to introduce personhood theory, which I'm, I, I was trying to figure out, how do I get Nancy Piercy's? Ideas across, and so I, I decided to take Piercy's ideas, ideas, and mm-hmm. put them into this airplane that That's has a B, and a, a B and a P. The B mm-hmm. stands for the body, in particular the human body, mm-hmm. and the P stands for a person. Mm-hmm. And um, before we go further with the airplane here, this came into mainstream culture back in two thousand four when John Kerry was running for president of the United States mm-hmm. against the incumbent George W. Bush. And John Kerry was saying that he is pro-choice on the abortion mm-hmm. issue. He's pro-choice. But he also believes that at conception mm-hmm. uh, you have human life, that, that life is human from conception, and the reporters who heard John Kerry say this, one of them said, "Well, wait a second. How can you say you're pro-choice, but believe that life is human from conception?" And he explained. He mm-hmm. he he used personhood theory without actually using the phrase personhood theory. He said, "Well, that human life, that fertilized egg, is not yet a person in the way that we would think about it." So. Um, in the Christian worldview, in like the book of Psalms, when David is writing about being knit together in his mother's womb, he mm-hmm. says "He says to God, you have knit me together in my mother's womb. He doesn't say you mm-hmm. knit my body together. David makes no distinction between the body and the person. The body is mm-hmm. the person. person is the body. And so just to demonstrate visually, it doesn't prove anything, but I'm just going to... Well, that's, to mean that nice looks like a beautiful flight yeah when body and person are integrated mm-hmm. you have um, you, you see no distinction between them however what John Kerry was doing was he was saying I actually separate person from body and this is what happens in personhood theory person is philosophically separated from the body which um, that doesn't fly as well no it doesn't and I, I would argue if you – do you mind handing me, handing me that oh, body course, thing, the body portion, just to illustrate this further? Personhood theory says you have a, you have a human body, but a human body is not a person yet. Mm-hmm. In order for a human body to be a person, personhood theory says there are certain things you can do to turn a body into a person – Uh, Which, by the way, is a very significant distinction, Mm -hmm. because if you kill a human body in an act of abortion, but that body is not a person; it's just human, but it's not a person. Then that's not murder. Murder is killing of a person, not like Mm -hmm. killing an ant or killing a flower. Nothing again. I have nothing against ants. I have nothing against flowers, Mm -hmm. but
0: there is a difference to that.
1: Yeah, you you just don't get convicted of murder. View mm-hmm. that, but if you kill a person, a human person, that's murder. So there is motivation to separate personhood off. So personhood theory is a body of beliefs, and there's a lot of them about what it takes for a human body to become a person. Some will say when a baby is born, it becomes a person, mm-hmm. which is an arbitrary point to say, okay, we're gonna let's say I had some tape and we taped on the person part of the airplane, mm-hmm. or maybe when. The baby becomes self-conscious or when it's mm-hmm. loved if it's not loved it's not really a person mm-hmm. or maybe when it passes algebra two or oh, something that would be detrimental yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be, it would be detrimental to the person to have to pass algebra two
0: well it'd be detrimental to most people oh yeah right because yeah. oh no i, I <laughs> oh know I, I, I failed I, not a person exactly, anymore. gotcha
1: gotcha yeah. or not a person yet so but this also has implications for later on in life, because if you can, if personhood is something that you can just attach to a human mm-hmm. body, then you can just as easily detach it. Like, let's say yeah. later in life, if someone is no longer performing the functions that are mm-hmm. accepted as or viewed to be required to be a person, it's like, oh, you're not a person anymore, so then euthanasia becomes an issue. So mm-hmm. this culture is swimming in the implications of, having accepted personhood theory. I, I don't accept personhood theory. Mm-hmm. I see that a, um, I mean, I agree with John Kerry that life is human from birth, but it's also a person from, and not from, not just birth, but from conception at conception, you're talking about a person. Yes. Um, but if you separate that up, then that will be the basis. Accepting personhood theory is the basis, not only for accepting abortion, but also mm-hmm. infanticide, um, You can use it, too, as people get older, to justify participation in the hookup cultures. People Mm -hmm. say, well, let's have a relationship where our bodies relate to each other, but there's no personal commitment Mm -hmm. long-term. Pornography is an industry that relies on people separating the person off from the body and saying, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I'm just going to the viewer relates to the body of a person, but not the person, then yes. they see no problem with that. It's like, um, but then also you see uh, later on in life, as I mentioned, with euthanasia, that becomes mm-hmm. an issue also. So, yeah, I think that um, that in order for artificial intelligence to pass the Turing test, mm-hmm. it would have to create a human body that Mm -hmm. also functions with intelligence in a way that only a human being created by God can do, Mm -hmm. which in my mind brings up a related issue. I I don't know if you want to go there or not, but Mm -hmm. is there any reason to believe that our human bodies have an origins narrative of having come about from mud and rocks ultimately by chance and without intelligence could it be that we are uncreated and that we are then free to try mm-hmm. to create maybe do a better job mm-hmm. of creating the human body because i mean on that view it seems reasonable because yeah, if we came about by accident yeah. maybe now that do we're intelligent mm-hmm. maybe so we that could so that field is called abiogenesis a, biogenesis, no, or a yes. biogenesis or the study of how life came from non-life. Mm-hmm. And I think most mainstream biology books will say that that happened by yes.
0: accident. Yeah, there was this experiment at UChicago where they created a simulator of uh, primitive earth conditions, mm-hmm. right? They had um, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, sulfur, these molecules. They had electricity. They had a warm temperature trying to simulate the vul- volcanoes on the early earth. Mm-hmm. And then, they did find that some life-building particles, so to speak, were created, such as amino acids. But that was where, where they reached we're not
1: Yeah, they made it to amino acids, but not further. Now, in a lot of people's minds, mm-hmm. amino acids like, whoa, we can get amino acids. That is
0: pretty impressive, yeah. And yet... That's pretty far away from, from a cell.
1: It is, especially a reproducing cell. And so I, I believe that a careful reading of the literature shows that the results are already in. And we mm-hmm. can know whether or not it's possible that you and I came about mm-hmm. by, we'll say the null hypothesis is that you and I came about by accident from mud and rocks, where the alternate hypothesis is that we came about because of the work of an unseen intelligent agent. Mm-hmm. And this might seem like it's out of bounds. This is no longer science. i but I, I think you can argue using um, scientific induction mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, or the scientific method without having to rely on holy books like the Bible mm-hmm. or any holy book. And you can arrive at that conclusion fairly because, I mean, the, the thinking involved in rejecting null hypothesis, I mean, we see this. We saw this very clearly happen and that we... We detected an unseen intelligent agent at Mm -hmm. work on um, the morning of September 11th, 2001. We detected an unseen intelligent agent without having to use the Bible. Science is in the business of detecting unseen intelligent agents. Indeed. And, for example, on September 11th, the null hypothesis was that one plane hitting one tower had happened Mm -hmm. by accident. And... Then if you take a look at two planes hitting two towers in the same city in Five under minutes. like an hour, well, the, uh, yeah. it, was, it was a short yeah. interval of time. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, once that second plane hit the second tower, then the probability of observing two planes hitting two towers by accident or natural causes became too low. That probability Indeed. was too low. People rejected the null hypothesis. The reasonable people on the planet, mm-hmm. I think the records show, they, they just concluded... Mm-hmm. that there is sufficient evidence to conclude that an unseen intelligent agent is responsible for what we just observed. Certainly, And that happens every day in fire science and in um, the sorts of science that medical examiners do when they're mm-hmm. examining dead bodies and trying to decide um, manner of death. We think of it as cause of death, but in the industry, um, someone performing um, a, uh, what's it called, when when they're they're doing an autopsy, it's like, okay, the null hypothesis is that person, the person died by natural causes Mm -hmm. or accidental causes, and then they say, but they don't conclude that the person has died as a result of an unseen intelligent agent unless there's sufficient evidence for that. Same thing with a fire. The fire could be caused by accidental causes, natural causes, but they're not Mm going to conclude. But, well, the point is they're equipped to conclude that there's an unseen intelligent agent responsible for the fire called an arsonist. Same thing happens in biology. We can determine whether life in particular, the simplest possible reproducing cell, Mm -hmm. came about by accident, natural causes, or an unseen intelligent agent. And that's a crucial question to ask, because in order for the twin engines of evolution to get started, you need reproduction. Um, The twin engines of evolution, which are variation and natural selection, do Mm -hmm. not get activated unless you have reproduction. So we now know what the probability that the simplest possible reproducing cell came about by accident or natural causes But, and I'll, I'll, since you asked, I'll present Mm -hmm. that probability calculation, and I'm indebted to the writing of Stephen Meyer in the book Mm -hmm. Signature in the Cell, because he's the one who brought this to my attention. Mm -hmm. But you need something to compare it to. In statistics, which is part of the scientific induction method, scientific method, you need an alpha level Mm -hmm. where it's like, it sets how low the probability has to be to reject the null hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So the most conservative alpha level in the industry mm-hmm. is 10 to the negative 150th, not 0. Yeah. 0.05 like we do it in It's very inter- conservative, indeed. It's very conservative. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as Will Dembski points out, it's based on the properties of the universe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so... I mean, if you're interested in finding out you know, more about where did Bill Dembski get that 10 to the negative 150th, you mm-hmm. know, there's he, uh, that's well documented. That's something you can take a look at. But, okay, so taking that as the universal probability bound, mm-hmm. I've, I've written out here what, what I learned from Stephen Meyer in his writing yeah. about the probability that the simplest possible reproducing cell... Maybe anyway, I can put it right here. Sure. So... In order, uh, well, well, first of all, there's, there's a couple of ways to analyze this problem. One is through amino mm-hmm. acids. The other is through DNA. So mm-hmm. this particular presentation is based on the amino acids needed for life, and it's just just getting the amino acids together. It's not even forming them together. Just This is just to get the building materials. Now, um, proteins are um, formed by taking chains of amino acids and folding them into mm-hmm. a state that's functional and the average amino acid the average protein is about 150 mm-hmm. am- amino acids long so so i've got one half to the 150th here and that red one half is uh, the probability that a randomly selected amino acid from let's say mm-hmm. this prebiotic soup
0: mm-hmm.
1: happens to be a left-hand amino acid because in life Mm-hmm. All of the proteins have amino acids that are left-hand amino acids. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that'd be in a protein of average length. That'd be that probably would be one half to the one-fiftieth. Now in mm-hmm. green, in green, that's the probability that the bonds between those one hundred fifty amino acids are peptide bonds. Mm-hmm. Bonds are either peptide or there's there's non-peptide bonds also. Mm-hmm. But um, Stephen Meyer uses an approximate probability of one half. You, mm-hmm. you know, randomly select a bond. About half the time, you'll get a peptide bond. So you need mm-hmm. that 150 times. And then this last number, one tenth of 74th, is one that Douglas X published in the Journal of Molecular Biology back in mm-hmm. August of 2004. You can check it. This is a respected scientific journal. And he looked at the prevalence of of chains of amino acids that actually mm-hmm. fold into functional proteins. It's very unusual for a randomly Indeed. selected chain of amino acids to fold into a functional protein. Mm-hmm. And so he published that that happens, um, ten, the probability of that happening is 10 to the negative 74th, or one-tenth mm-hmm. of the 74th. Now, that's just for getting one, Pro. one string. Now, since, I mean, the simplest... Life that we know of has about four hundred fifty proteins, mm-hmm. but scientists seem to agree that if you wanted to go bare bones, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: you'd probably be able to get the function of reproduction mm-hmm. with two hundred and fifty <laughs> proteins. You'd be able, you'd, you'd get still reproduction, a lot. and that's and that's not even arranging them. That's like yeah. getting the building materials for a skyscraper, yeah, yeah. but no blueprints. Mm-hmm. Just just the building materials. Mm-hmm. So. That becomes the probability of that. If you do the numbers, um, you have to get them. You have to use logs to get it all in terms of base ten. But it comes out to be about ten to the negative one sixty four, and then that's that's inside the the red, the green, the blue is mm-hmm. ten to the negative one sixty four.
0: Amplify that by. But but, but then when you raise it to two
1: fifty, you get ten to the negative forty one thousand. Oh wow! So I mean, you can check the math on that, but I've looked at that pretty closely, 10 to the negative negative 41,000 is the probability of getting just the building materials, Mm -hmm. those 250 proteins. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's just an upper bound. That all fold. And yeah, I mean, it is. It is an upper bound. The actual probability would be a lot less than that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, but since we're already at 10 to the negative 41,000, way less than 10 to the negative One hundred and fifty, which is universal probability bound, any Mm -hmm. reasonable person would have to conclude that um, we would reject the null hypothesis that the simplest possible reproducing cell came about by um, natural causes or accident. And there is overwhelmingly sufficient
0: evidence Mm -hmm. that life came about as a result of intelligent design. Yes. And I'm legitimately convinced that this is true and that this approximation... Has a lot of reason attached to it, and I would reject the null hypothesis that life came from random choice or from random orientation of well, molecules. Well, wait, that, that life did not come about yes. by random, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that, I would reject the null hypothesis. Right. Exactly. right. Yes, so, so what do you think is the point of AI development? Why are people still striving after this? Well, you sort of mentioned in our previous segment that it's about... Uh, an attempt to create life say silicon-based life life created by human beings human 2.0 whatever you choose to describe it but why are people still going after this what's what's their impetus what's their motivation what gets them out of bed every day to go into the industry
1: yeah i think there's there's two important facets to look at Mm -hmm. one is pretty easy to understand. It's the desire for immortality. Mm-hmm. The Bible, the Christian Bible, does say that people have eternity in their hearts. God mm-hmm. created us with a desire to live forever. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is a promise that transhumanism, human 2.0, ar- artificial intelligence, can be a big part mm-hmm. of living forever forever. Because if our bodies, you know, if someone, um hope this never happens, but if mm-hmm. someone were to get hit by a car and they die, transhumanism says, don't worry about it. As long as you've been uploading your mind and your memories, mm-hmm. we can give you a replacement body that has the same DNA mm-hmm. and same memories, same mind,
0: and so you can keep on living. Mm-hmm. That's one piece of it. It's actually pretty freaky um, if you think about it. Um, I know that philosophically this has been discussed um, in the paradox of the boat of Theseus where essentially you start out with a a beautiful wooden sailboat and then you start sailing. And then eventually some some pieces of wood planks get riddened out. So you switch them with new planks. Mm. And eventually the entire boat is changed. So the question is, is this still the boat you started out with? And some people say yes, some people say no. But this is an analogy to to a lot of things actually for example our bodies are iterating every day, our cells have probably changed uh, tens and hundreds of times since we were born depending on your age so in that respect the question is really uh, demanding right? are we still ourselves? is there some sense of continuity or is this sense of continuity actually existing or is it not existing? Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this?
1: yeah I keep thinking of a personhood theory i mean what what is a person
0: mm-hmm.
1: is the person i mean a person has a body when someone dies, mm-hmm. their personhood is separated from mm-hmm. the body that's It's not a desirable thing to separate the person from the body but um I mean, it it, it makes me think about how those who believe that that you and I did come about by accident, Mm -hmm. that that viewpoint tends to have a very low view Mm -hmm. of the inner self, the mind. I mean, when we think of the person, the inner self, we'll think of the soul, the mind, our ability to love, to Mm -hmm. act sacrificially towards other people. Mm-hmm. to love that which is good, to hate that which is evil. Mm-hmm. And yet when I hear the AI community talk about, you're trying to give an account for the origin of the person, mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's just a very low, shriveled up, reductionistic view of what it means to be a person. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from... Mm-hmm. Um, and saw this recently in Yaval Harari's book um, entitled "Homo Deus: A Brief mm-hmm. History of Tomorrow." Talks about how um, the soul is and, and self consciousness in particular. Mm-hmm. He says it's just an illusion caused by brain chemistry. What we think of is love. It's like oh, I, I you know, a, a person is someone who's able to love. It's like oh, mm-hmm. love itself it's just is just a result ways. of brain chemistry, and so. If you, you have to have a reduced view mm-hmm. of what it means to be a person in order to really hope that computer mm-hmm. code can replicate what it means to be a person. Yes. And and I, I see that also with with good and evil, you have to redu- mm-hmm. you have to erase the concept of absolute evil from mm-hmm. the imagination. This is a huge sacrifice that I That's why I want to keep AI at arm's distance. I would have to acknowledge that nothing is absolutely evil Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in order to embrace this because um, absolute evil, if it exists, acknowledges that God exists. I I would argue that the God of the Bible exists because if there is no God, Mm -hmm. then there's nothing that's absolutely evil. So if there are some things that are absolutely evil, I'm Mm -hmm. stating the contrapositive now, if there are things that are absolutely evil, then we have to deal with a God who's the author of the distinction between good yes. and evil. So in order to really embrace the vision of human 2.0, I have to embrace that even being able to to detect and, and prefer that which is good mm-hmm. to that which is counterfeit and evil. Um, I'm using the language from Samuel Johnson in his quote about what, what the supreme end of education is. He said, the supreme end of education is expert discernment in all things, the power to tell the good from the bad, the genuine from the counterfeit, which are things you do in your mind, but then in your heart, and to prefer the good and the genuine to -hmm. the bad and the counterfeit. I I don't really believe that there's going to be a computer that really, on a heart level, Mm -hmm. they prefer the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. That's something that a person can do. But not computer code. Yes,
0: yes. And that's, I would say that's technically impossible since all AI decisions are probabilistic. And if there's there's probability, there's space for variation and there's space for making mistakes. And there's also an impossibility of reaching certainty. And it can look very certain. It can have a very, very high probability. Hmm. But it will never achieve the extent to which it can absolutely discern between good and evil. And I think that's a very profound aspect of our human nature. Just like I think there are things that are absolutely good, and there are things that are absolutely evil, and we should pursue the good things and eliminate the evil things. Whether it's in our society, in our lives, in our actions, in our thoughts, we should endeavor to pursue the good the good aspect. So back to um, a while ago while we were talking, uh, you mentioned two aspects, so we covered the first one.
1: So the one reason was to solve the problem of death. Yes. I I think another reason is that Mm -hmm. when you look at the trajectory of Western civilization from, Mm -hmm. let's, let's go back to 313 when Constantine proclaimed the Edict of Milan saying that, yes, um, it was legal to practice Christianity in Rome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so let's say that kicks off Christendom or the pre-modern era. Not that I'm promoting mm-hmm. the the weaving together of church authority with state authority, which mm-hmm. you saw a lot during Christendom. Yes. But, I mean, that that was the state of affairs. That characterized mm-hmm. a lot of what was going on in Western civilization during that time. So, mm-hmm. um And one of the things that did happen a lot between 313 and 1789, which was Mm -hmm. the storming of the Bastille, which kicked off the French Revolution off with their heads, no more divine right of kings, was that the values and the narratives of Christianity were upheld in a Mm -hmm. lot of institutions. Family, school, government, you you saw it a lot. So,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and... The calculus connection, I mean, you know, part of why I'm interested in this is because mm-hmm. I've noticed how calculus has has interacted with this narrative, these meta narratives throughout Western civilization. So you got the pre modern meta narrative that mm-hmm. you know is upholds the symbols of the Bible, you know, God humanity is part beautiful, part ugly. Mm-hmm. Um beautiful because we're made in the image of God, ugly because we've rebelled. You've got this enemy that's causing suffering called Satan, mm-hmm. and then we need to be delivered from the consequences of our rebellion through the shed blood of Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that that narrative was prominent in Western civilization in the pre-modern era. Well, when calculus comes along, and Isaac Newton, who was a Christian, and, and mm-hmm. gave God the God of the Bible credit for... um for his ability to detect the order that god had put into creation Um, you had this enlightenment group you know you had it was not just Voltaire, but there were some who were they wanted the amazing developments of science and calculus that newton Mm -hmm. was bringing to the table but they did not want to give credit to the god of the bible so instead they made a switch instead of saying that god placed order in the universe um, the enlightenment crowd would say well Order is inherent in the universe. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, like Newton did, that God gave Newton the ability to detect order in the universe, mm-hmm. the Enlightenment crowd said, oh no, that ability to detect order is inherent mm-hmm. in the, the human mind, even though mm-hmm. there's no account for how the human mind even came Certainly. into existence and mm-hmm. self consciousness. So. so then, postmodernism, I would say, really had its momentum pick up mm-hmm. at the end of World War II. Um, you saw, again, just to briefly show the beginning of the end of mm-hmm. the modern era, you had the Titanic sinking, which yes. which was a big blow to mm-hmm. the modern project, this idea that you can build the unsinkable ship. and hmm It sank, so it wasn't just the 1,491 people who perished, which was a tragedy, but it was also the beginning of the end of this dream Mm -hmm. of trusting math and science to come up with a pathway to eliminate human suffering. Then you have, in 1930, 1931, um, Kurt Gödel's, incompleteness theorem, which indicated that, oh no, we thought we we're going to be able to base everything, instead of basing truth on God, we're going to be able to base it on reason, logic, mm-hmm. b- math and science, but then... It's not completely
0: reliable either.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what Gödel showed, was that you know, no mathematical theorem, mm-hmm. or n- no branch of mathematics is completely Sweet. provable. No theorem is completely provable. And so then, when World War II ended... With Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you see Mm -hmm. this equation that came from calculus. It was Einstein's set of calculus equations for general relativity. Mm -hmm. And a a particular solution to one of those differential equations was the equation E equals MC squared, which became Mm -hmm. the basis of the Manhattan Project, Mm -hmm. ended World War II. And so, I mean, some would say, you know, actually the atom bomb... Um, ended up reducing human suffering because otherwise Mm -hmm. the war would have gone on for a while. Other people looked at that. There's a large group that looked at that and said, this is disillusioning because Mm -hmm. now, yeah, sure, we ended the war, but now we have the ability to destroy everyone on the planet in under five minutes, under 24 hours. So um, I'm not here to adjudicate that debate. I mean, there's that debate. But the point Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people looked at that saying, oh, well, that's the last straw. And mm-hmm. we, we cannot trust external authority figures in general. We cannot trust the scientific narrative to eliminate human suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do we trust? And so
1: and so in postmodernism, you've got uh, this term that was coined by the French philosopher Leotard, who mm-hmm. said that postmodernism is incredulity toward metanarratives, that mm-hmm. we cannot trust these grand narratives, a mm-hmm. a a meta-narrative is essentially a general story into which many yes. sp- specific stories fit. Like, I'm going to live according to the meta-narrative. I'm going to grow up, graduate from college, get married, and have mm-hmm. children. That's a mm-hmm. general meta-narrative. And then many people's specific narratives conform to so that narrative. Good. Well, Christianity is a meta-narrative. Indeed. And... Postmodernism says that none of those are credible. Now, there is a a Christian stream of postmodernism, which is just purely reaction to the idolization of the mind. Mm -hmm. But um, the vast majority of what we see in postmodernism is is the rejection of Christianity, saying that it's actually causing suffering and that really we need to be the authors of our own Mm micro-narratives and chart our own course trust yourself maybe you can trust your girlfriend but that's about it as far as trust goes but what's really going on is um this trend and this trend i'm trying to describe is Mm -hmm. from pre-modernism you know upheld the god of the bible Mm -hmm. modernism upheld the mind and post-modernism says it's not trusting any external meta narratives, but it really is. It's really trusting, it's doubling down mm-hmm. and trusting the mind even more to be godlike yeah. and to create human 2.0.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because when you're, when you've just got yourself left, I mean, you're the only source of reliability. Your mind is what you have, all that you have. Then you're, not just only doubling down you're doubling so many times more and there's actually a lot of irreliability because we've all made wrong decisions and we know how incapable our individual minds are yeah. you can create beautiful things you can generate beautiful ideas but at the end of the day a single mind is just an island that's not enough
1: and and so i mean yeah, you at least have to, I mean, th- there are certainly those in postmodernism who would say, okay, yeah, we are not enough by ourselves, so mm-hmm. so we need a community of people to come together and you know, we trust tribe, and you hear that a lot in postmodernism, that we, we do, yes, that we have a group, and our group comes up with our definitions of good and evil, but it's still that it is just a group community-based definition, mm-hmm. it's not absolute evil, it's just community-based definitions mm-hmm. of what's good and what's evil.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that would be an aggregate between um, a micro-narrative and a meta-narrative, so somewhere an, in between an that.
1: aggregate of micro-narratives that have mm-hmm. some overlap that people can live yeah. with, yeah. But yeah, it's, it really is still more of the same, it's just mm-hmm. more relying on self and the future for that is bleak without acknowledging the reality that can be seen mm-hmm. mathematically. It's, it's clear that in order for us to
0: really be in touch with reality, mm-hmm. we need to get to know our maker. Yes. Now, so were you implying that uh, the motivation behind creating artificial intelligence was driven by... A postmodern narrative or a modern narrative?
1: Well, um, I guess part of what I'm saying is that there's not really that much distinction between mm-hmm. the modern meta-narrative and the postmodern meta-narrative. They're mm-hmm. still, they're both self-reliant mm-hmm. and, and they're both limited, both and therefore both limited because mm-hmm. they're refusing to acknowledge that our minds themselves um, cannot really be enlightened Mm -hmm. without that fifth dimension of learning, and that is receiving truth from the ultimate trusted authority figure who is the author of the Bible.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, yeah, the plan plan for immortality and for overcoming death is not going to come from our minds and building human Mm 2.0. The ultimate plan for overcoming death Comes from the author of life.
0: Mm-hmm. That's very profound. Now we were talking about education, um, and about 20, 30 minutes ago you mentioned some person, forgot his name, defined uh, education as. The goal to discern between good and evil. Yes,
1: that was Samuel Johnson. Yes, thank you. Who articulated the supreme end of education.
0: Mm -hmm. So would you agree with his view or disagree? or How would you define education?
1: Wow, great question. So yeah, Samuel Johnson. I mean, I I, I don't even know if he he was a Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you really take a look at that statement, it does have the taste of enlightenment thinking. Mm-hmm. No. It's not purely enlightenment because he goes into the heart, you know, to prefer mm-hmm. the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. At the very least there's the matter um, of preference. There's what, I'm sorry?
0: There's the matter of preference, which is based on the It's an issue in yourself. the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean well, and it's, I think it does point to the sorts of Categories of absolute good and evil that mm-hmm. were probably in his mind from the pre-modern era. So, um, but you're asking me, you know, what would I say is the definition of education? And yes. um, to to be educated, if someone's educated, then they are truly able to get in touch with and stay in touch with reality. Now, math science, historical Mm -hmm. method, and listening to a trusted authority figure, that that results in being in touch with reality if Mm -hmm. the trusted authority figure that you're receiving from is the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So to be truly educated is to know God, to receive information from him, to receive light and life from him. It's so yeah, it yes. encompasses being Indeed. truly alive and and walking with mm-hmm. Jesus through life.
0: Mm-hmm. So, education then would be a would it be a gradual process because it's very difficult to attain the state you just mentioned. We start with uh, very limited abilities to understand reality, understand the beautiful nature of the laws of the universe or the creator of the universe. So what would be a pathway of development? Or what would be the process of being educated?
1: Well, I think, and again, this is, this is where the family is crucial because mm-hmm. any plan of education that involves taking children away from their parents mm-hmm. um, would be disastrous because people really learn education and they experience true education at a very young age. They learn it from their parents as they learn to trust yes. their parents. And then as their parents point them toward God, mm-hmm. then they find out, a, a child will find out, okay, I trust my parents. My parents pointed me to the God of the Bible, mm-hmm. and the God of the Bible is telling me where he wants me to go in life. My experience when I was in high school, I was I was self-reliant. I was pursuing ideas that I came up with according to my plan for how to feel important and affirmed. And a lot of that had to do with uh, performance in terms of theater and Mm -hmm. piano and music, music and theater. But then, um, I mean, I was going to Wheaton College at the time, and I sensed Mm -hmm. God just calling me, saying, "I, I want you to go this different direction. It happened to be going into education, which seemed very foreign to me. But if a person trust their parents, their parents point them toward God, then God can keep them in touch with reality. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's because of the reality of evil and that we get deceived that that without the God of the Bible and a personal relationship with the God of the Bible, there's no way that we can stay in touch with reality.
0: Indeed. What would be a counter example of staying in touch with reality? Can you find some example of some person not staying in touch with the reality or out of touch with the reality.
1: Yeah, it would come down to um, worshiping the wrong God, because mm-hmm. I, I see um, a map of reality. I, I can even just map it out here. Yes, certainly. So, um, the the word worldview gets bandied around a lot, and it can mm-hmm. seem kind of ethereal, but The way I see worldview is just a mental map of reality. And Mm -hmm. if someone were to imagine themselves in, let's say they're in a second floor bedroom in their house and the tornado sirens go off and the power Mm -hmm. goes out, you have no light, you forgot to charge your cell phone, so your cell phone flashlight is not working. And you have to get from a place where you're endangered, you're in a second floor bedroom, and you have to get to a shelter in the basement in mm-hmm. total darkness i ask my students this i say do you think you'd be able to make it in total darkness to a place of safety mm-hmm. um, just based on the mental map that you have of the route from your bedroom to the basement mm-hmm. most students raise their hand and say yeah i'd be able to do it they have an accurate mental map of reality mm-hmm. it's important to have an accurate mental map of reality there because if you don't then you might end up walking off a third floor balcony or yeah. you might find yourself, you know, jumping into a pool and you're underwater or trying to breathe when you're underwater. Maybe you find yourself all of a sudden in, in the oven and it's on there's cool. having a path, a mental map of reality
0: mm-hmm. and
1: is is really important to uh, to stay alive. Yes. And definitely. So, so I I'm just gonna use a circle to represent reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna divide it into four sectors. So, in in the center, in the Mm -hmm. circle, in the center, is what we worship. And I'm I'm a Christian. I recommend that. I I think that science reveals that Mm -hmm. the God of the Bible is worthy of worship. He exists, and he's Mm -hmm. worthy of worship. And that influences. You know, I'll I'll just put a uh, a symbol of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here in the center. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's say that represents the God of the Bible. And I'm putting H on the top for humans, P for the physical realm, the non-physical realm. Mm -hmm. So this is a mental map of reality. It's just kind of like a grid for everyone's map of reality Mm -hmm. has something in the center that they worship. But what you worship influences how you see the physical realm. Mm -hmm. It influences how you see the non-physical realm, which includes Mm -hmm. things like justice, injustice, good and evil. Indeed. Indeed. Which some people so like, for example, if someone believes that we came about by purposeless, non-intelligent processes, then they're going to discount a lot of the realities over here in the non-physical realm. They're Mm -hmm. they're going to say, well, there is no absolutely absolute evil. Things that we consider to be absolute evil, like genocide or rape, they say, well, no, Mm -hmm. actually, there is no absolute evil. So, what you worship has a huge impact on your view of reality. Indeed, then, then humans, which have both a physical and a non-physical dimension.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The way that we view ourselves and our futures, like, you know, am I going to get married? What does marriage look like? Is it between exactly one man, exactly one woman? Um, all of that is, is received. That's a that's reality that we receive from our object of worship. So if someone mm-hmm. decides to worship something other than the God of the Bible— that's what the Bible calls idol worship, and it mm-hmm. distorts their view of the physical realm, their relationship with the physical realm, the non-physical realm, and other humans. So it's devastating. The, the Bible, uh, um, I'll reference Nancy Piercy again. Mm-hmm. Nancy Piercy says that the Bible says that the number one problem mm-hmm. that's described in the Bible is is idol worship. Worshiping something other than God messes our entire worldview up. It messes up mm-hmm. our mental map of reality, and it leads to disastrous situations that are comparable to walking off a third floor balcony when you're trying to get to a place of safety. Indeed.
0: Now, some people would say that Christianity has actually uh, prohibited or obstructed the development of science and of mathematics. Mm. I would suppose you would disagree with that claim. What are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's, you know, I know that I reference Nancy Piercy a lot, Mm -hmm. but I found her book starting with The Soul of Science, going Mm -hmm. through to uh, Total Truth, Finding Truth, and Love Thy Body um, to be extremely formative in my understanding of education and Mm -hmm. developing worldview. So, so when it comes to uh, wait, what was the question you, you just said? It was about oh yeah.
0: Uh, what are your thoughts on the topic itself? So,
1: right, right, um, yeah. Because I, actually let will cut this part out. So, oh, the, um, no worries. But the context of it. Oh yeah, because you said that some people view that Christianity. Oh, it's a science. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so what what Nancy Pearcey says in her article mm-hmm. entitled. Is Christianity a science starter or mm-hmm. a science stopper? Um, and this this took a while for me to digest, and I had to do some other research also. But but Christianity is a science starter, mm-hmm. and there's and um, when you take a look at why mathematical science came from one location and at one time only, and that is Western Europe during the past 500 years. There's a worldview explanation for why that happened. Um, mm-hmm. Some some people will say, well no, actually the Greeks came up with science. No, there was a there was a problem in the Greek worldview that that placed several really high hurdles to arriving at the kind of mathematical science that came out of Europe in the past 500 years. Now, mm-hmm. it is true that Archimedes did come up with some, um, yeah. some mathematical science. I'm, I'm not saying there was n- none, but there was a major mm-hmm. obstacle. Yeah. What is that obstacle? That obstacle was an incorrect view of the physical origins. Mm-hmm. Because on the Greek view, the physical world that we see, well, you got the physical world, world that Plato referred to as um, matter— Yes. And you got matter in the forms. I th- am, am I getting those right? Matter?
0: Well, and, yeah. Um, but he also emphasized the inferior, <clears throat> um, that the physical world is inferior compared yeah. to the metaphysical world. Right.
1: So, um, exactly. So, but he saw that that those two, um, matter and forms, were co-eternal mm-hmm. and uncreated. They'd always mm-hmm. been here. And they're, so they're fundamentally different and according to greek narratives of the origin of people the job of having to deal with making people mm-hmm. was relegated to a fourth tier god um, and it was an unenviable this is like a a, a god who messed up several times and was given the unenviable job of having to combine a matter with forms to make human to make humans and so as as you indicated um yeah the greek view of matter is that it's the cause of suffering and that our bodies are um ho- holding us back from from really enjoying life we'd be much better off with uh Kind of, this is a religious view of mathematics. Yeah. that you, know, you see this in the Pythagoreans in, in that mathematics um, helps us get in touch with that which is non-physical. The forms mm-hmm. are non-physical. these are ideas. And so, so when you take a look at um, and what, what the Greeks did with science, they were not expecting there to be mathematical Connections with anything that had to do with matter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Most of what they did with science was not in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the laboratory of the mind, which is kind of like characterized by your geometry proofs, your two-column geometry proofs. That was science to them, was going through mathematical logic. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I'm kind of surprised that you haven't found it. I mean... What's wrong? There's there's a $100 bill. Really? Taped to the table under there. Be careful with it. I don't want you but it's if whoa, if whoa. if on. you had found that on your own that would have been yours to keep. Uh, <coughs> too bad. Um, no, 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 no. And and please don't tell me you ri- yeah, just carefully remove it from the corners. All
0: right. All right. Uh, <coughs> Excuse oh, me. Shoot. I ripped it. So okay, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So there is indeed a one hundred dollar bill under my table, and
1: and if you had found that, Mm -hmm. you could have kept it. But you know what? I think there's a reason you didn't find it is that you were not expecting it to be there, Mm -hmm. and so in the same way, the Greeks, they were not looking for mathematical realities embedded in nature because. Their view of the origin of the physical realm of matter mm-hmm. did not include an intelligent God who made both matter mm. and forms. forms such as mathematics so so they didn't look at him. A, a few of them found it anyway, like Archimedes, but not many i was going to take care of this right now so um, so it wasn't until Western Europe mm-hmm. in. In the fifteen, in well, in the last five hundred years, where theologians were influencing the thinking of scientists, and and they were saying, "Wait a second, if Christianity is really true, and God created both matter and forms, mm-hmm. then and this is what Newton said. He said we should expect to see mathematical relationships in what we observe, and what we observe is not. This is this other Greek idea of of." Um, of automaticness, which philosophically is necessity, that mm-hmm. everything happened by necessity. It cannot be any other way than what it is. Well, the Christian worldview of the physical realm is that the physical realm is contingent
0: mm-hmm.
1: on how God created it. And so, so scientists who were Christians said, let's, <coughs> let's go out and look, let's study the physical realm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's find out. What God did, because by studying God's book of creation, we can learn about God Himself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and so and, and they also believed that God had given the minds capable of detecting that order. So that opened up scientific discovery like none other. Mm-hmm. And if you take a look at the major branches of science, almost invariably, major branches of science were started by Christians who had a Christian view of reality. So, Indeed. So. Christianity is not a science stopper, it is a
0: science starter. Wow, yes, that's that's beautiful, and that is true. Look through history, look at Mendel, right, he was a monk, um, studied peas in his garden, and then came up with heredity. You see uh, Isaac Newton, well, not to mention that, right, his contributions were so profound, and if you think about science, if you think about Avogadro, I'm not exactly sure whether or not he was a Christian, but something along those lines. And so, yes, the inspiration from nature has certainly contributed immensely towards the, the development of of mathematics, but not only mathematics, but also our understanding of reality
1: and keeping us in touch
0: with reality. Yes. Yes, certainly. It's it's very beautiful and that should be the way mm-hmm. how we understand our surroundings and the world that is around us. So um, as a teacher, I would assume uh, you have uh, thought about scenarios in which students could potentially rely on AI to uh, help them, assist them with their work or with their learning. What are your thoughts on using AI as a tool in that sense? Yeah, I mean, there might be some limited areas in which AI mm-hmm. can be used as a tool.
1: I think. <clears throat> from what I know of you
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that you know way more about mm-hmm. the potential for AI to make constructive contributions to education than mm-hmm. I do. So, I'm, I mean, my thoughts are more broad strokes. Mm-hmm. And, you I'd know, be so happy
0: to talk more about the details.
1: I mean, I mean well, I'll, I'll share briefly the mm-hmm. broad strokes. The broad strokes are that I don't trust AI to take over education. There's mm-hmm. going to be a need for people to be in, involved in education people who are created oh, by yes. God in order to be able to connect with the souls of their students and be mm-hmm. able to hear from God what's going on. I don't trust AI to mm-hmm. listen to God and to have a Christian worldview, a mental map of reality mm-hmm. that's in touch with reality. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, oh, oh, yeah. So, so overall I, I don't trust it for, for the end game or, um, to, to replace humans. but Yes. But please do share. I'd, I'd, I'd like to know what you th- you see some of the ways
0: that AI can really help out. Oh, well, yeah. I think AI is sort of like a double-edged sword. You can, if you use it good, if you use it for the good causes to promote humanity, it can be a great assistant. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if you use it for uh, evil businesses and, for example, you can use it to cheat, right? That's evil. You can use can use it to uh, help you to unlawfully attain a lot of things that would also be evil. So something along those lines. That would be a terrible cause to use AI, and that would be a bad master. So it's a good servant. It's a good (coughs) assistant, (coughs) but a bad master, just like a lot of things, like money. And this applies to the educational field. If we use – if students, educators – with a combined effort, develop AI that is suitable towards improving the educational environment, that would be a great thing. So, for example, Wolfram Alpha, that's a um, an online uh, site where you can enter mathematical expressions and it can help you with the evaluation and can break down the methods to solving this and offer a comprehensive view of how to tackle a problem and how to engage in computation in general. This would be very beneficial, in my opinion, to the mathematical development of student. On the other hand, you can also use it to cheat. You can Mm -hmm. use it to help you write an essay. Uh, I'm sure people have done that. I've actually also conducted Mm -hmm. some tests on ChatGPT's capability of crafting, of writing papers in college admissions Mm -hmm. uh, applications. And This is plagiarism, because it's not your work. You inspired it to generate that, if I could use the word inspire, but it has nothing to do with you, ultimately. And that would be a form of dishonesty, and that would be a container of evil in that sense, because you are sacrificing your understanding and your cause and your opportunity to interact with other people and to communicate your ideas at the exchange of perhaps saving your personal time for other things. Now, mm. back to the topic. I think yeah. AI development should be promoted then as an, the assistant for human development for a for good reason, to enhance our understanding of reality. And that's certainly possible if we use it correctly. And in the field of education, if we use it as a tutor as a tool that can provide us with variety, a myriad of educational resources that would be beautiful, right? During class time, perhaps we can use it to help us uh, graph things. Not that, well, graphing skills are very important still. We can use it to come up with props, with examples, and that would aid the teacher a lot as well. So Mm -hmm. I think these are uh, uses of artificial intelligence that should be uh, strongly encouraged. Mm -hmm. But the teacher the role of the teacher is substantial within the classroom or beyond the classroom the teacher is more than a person that communicates information the teacher is someone who guides the student who mentors the student mm-hmm. and that can never be replaced by a machine amen <laughs> yes so speaking of ai development uh, We know that OpenAI has definitely contributed a lot to the field uh, with the emergence of ChatGPT that took society by swarm, and now everyone knows the name of ChatGPT. Um, And OpenAI plans on continuing developing uh, more models, stronger models, uh, bigger and better. Um, On the other hand, though, some other uh, leaders in the industry have sought... To slow down the development, right? Don't be in a hurry. There are some very important questions that we need to think through before we continue our development. Elon Musk, we all know who that is, signed a petition letter with, along with a lot of other leaders in the industry, like Steve Wozniak, like Max Techmark, to halt the development of AI for at least six months. And during this period we should really think about how we should plan our development of ai and as i said ai can be used as a great tool a great helper but a bad master and we mm-hmm. really need to delve deep into the field and really understand why we're developing it or else it can be exploited for for the good of or for the for the for self-interest and for uh, dirty, let me to use that word, for dirty desires mm-hmm. by people that we don't want to be leading the field, that we don't want to be using the tool with. So now that could have sounded kind of whimsical, um, s- sort of out of nowhere, but I believe that that is true. Um, if, if we don't use AI properly, AI could become the next atomic bomb has the capable uh, it has the capability of doing that and for example it can potentially if it has internet access it can go onto mm. social media and spread a lot of views that are untrue but due to its ability in writing, I would assume the majority would be be confused would be misled by this evil agent used by an evil uh, evil force that's behind this and I've mentioned good and evil a lot of times throughout this podcast. It's because I believe that there is an ultimate source of good, of goodness, and evil. And I believe that if we use AI properly, we can promote the good and eliminate the evil. Otherwise, the evil will prevail, and it will destroy us, whether it's through AI or through other means. And I think this is, this is the whole point of ethical engineering, the point of developing uh, beautiful, good forms of technology. And it's to help us gain a more comprehensive understanding on reality and to glorify our creator. So do you think that the petition letter should be, <coughs> do you think six months is enough to realize this this issue since you have alluded to its connections, the connections of AI development with underlying social issues that have existed for hundreds of years?
1: No, six months is not long enough. I mean, it's fine to put the time out there. I'm glad that Mm -hmm. the request to pause has been made because as an educator, it gives me an opportunity To say, okay, let's talk about the worldview implications. Let's talk about human 2.0. Because without that, it seems less relevant. It's not as interesting to be able to talk Mm -hmm. about transhumanism. It's like, well, Elon Musk and all these signatories Mm -hmm. think that there is some danger here. So let's let's talk about what is being worshipped. What is the human 2.0 program? gives us a chance to talk about personhood theory and getting maps of reality, reality. Mm-hmm. that are in touch with reality mm-hmm. and so yeah it's it's a great
0: opportunity to mm-hmm. talk about some really important relevant issues indeed and this is the hope for this podcast is to let everyone who hears this podcast realize the significance of doing things we just said yeah so I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, well, thanks yeah. for the invitation. Um, this is this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely,
1: and we'll see you around. All right, we'll see you. Yep.